Hi, my name's Louise Keenan and I'm an associate in the employment team at Clark's Legal. Tupi can be a very complicated area of law to navigate, and so we've designed a series of short podcasts to give you a really good overview of the basics. In this podcast, we'll be focusing on what Tupi is and when it applies. So, what is Tupi? Tupi stands for the Transfer of Undertakings Protection of Employment Regulations 2006. It's a piece of European legislation which aims to safeguard the rights and contracts of employees where there's a transfer of a business or service from one entity to another. Now, just to flag, when looking at Tupi, you'll hear reference being made to the transfer or and transferee. Put simply, the transfer or refers to the current employer and the transferee refers to the incoming employer. Tupi applies where there's a relevant transfer. This covers two types of events, a business transfer and a service provision change. It's important to highlight at the outset here that the intentions of the parties are not relevant when deciding if Tupi applies or not. The transferor, transferee or indeed the affected employees themselves cannot decide between themselves whether or not Tupi applies. It's a matter of law. However, parties can vary the effects of Tupi in their commercial agreements, which we'll examine in more detail in a later podcast in this series. Let's look first at business transfers. The definition of a business transfer is the transfer of an undertaking, business or part of an undertaking or business situated immediately before the transfer in the UK to another person, where there's a transfer of an economic entity which retains its identity. So that's a complicated test and let's break it down and look at the key aspects of that test. Firstly, is there a transfer of an undertaking or business or part thereof to another person? So whether there's a transfer will usually be really clear cut, but a point that you have to be wary of here is share sales. It's generally accepted that a simple share sale will not give rise to a 2P transfer. This is because when a company's shares are sold to new shareholders, the employer remains the same because there's no transfer of the business or undertaking. It's just ownership of the shares in that entity that are transferring. However, in some cases, a share sale can amount to a 2P transfer. Perhaps the one most of note relates to situations where following a share sale, the new shareholders assume day-to-day control of the company, taking on responsibility and making management decisions, etc. In those cases where the new shareholders go beyond what a shareholder would normally do in a simple share sale, there may well be a transfer under 2P. So it's just something to be aware of. Secondly, is the undertaking or business or part thereof situated in the UK immediately before the transfer? Again, this should be clear cut. It captures business transfers in the UK and business transfers from the UK to other countries, but it won't capture a business transfer into the UK from elsewhere. However, of course, those countries may well have their own similar legislation that will apply to that transfer into the UK. So you'd have to be mindful of that. Next, is there an economic entity? An economic entity is an organised grouping of resources, which can be people or assets, that are pursuing a specific objective on an ongoing basis. 
The objective doesn't have to be commercial or in pursuit of profit. 2P transfers can therefore occur in the charitable or not-for-profit sectors. When we talk about assets here, we mean not just physical plant and equipment, but also intangible assets such as goodwill and intellectual property rights. The nature of the business will determine whether a particular grouping of people or assets amount to an economic entity. So if you take an example of a farm, it will be crucial that the farm itself transfers for there to be an economic entity, because you couldn't run a farm without the farm itself. However, for labour intensive services like cleaning, the transfer of the employees will be the most crucial aspect. A mere collection of people or assets won't be sufficient. The people or the assets must be organised in such a way that they together pursue a specific objective. For example, they must be sufficiently structured and autonomous. They must be a business unit in essence. And this means you should be able to pick them up from the transferor's business, lift them across to the transferee and drop them and have it continue to function as normal. The next part of the test is whether there's a transfer of this economic entity. Now, again, this is one part of the test that's usually relatively straightforward. A transfer will occur where there's a change in the person responsible for operating the economic entity and who assumes the obligations as an employer towards the employees who are working in that economic entity. And it's usually quite easy to identify when there has been such a change there. Finally, does the economic entity retain its identity? Here, you need to look at the economic entity pre and post transfer and make comparisons to determine if the economic entity is still in existence. In deciding this, all of the circumstances should be considered, including the following factors. The type of business, the extent of transfer of machinery, factory premises, stock, equipment, plant, tools, etc. The value of the seller's intangible assets and whether these transfer over. The transfer of any employees. Whether customers and clients are to be transferred. The degree of similarity between activities carried on before and after the transfer and the extent of any disruption of these activities as a result of the transfer. Employment tribunals tend to approach these cases by asking whether broadly the same economic activity is carried on, and if it is, it will assume 2P applies unless there's evidence to the contrary. Now we move on to the second type of relevant transfer, the service provision change. A service provision change can occur in three scenarios. The first is where the client outsources a service which it undertakes to a contractor for the first time. The second is where the client switches services between contractors. And the third is where the client terminates its outsourcing arrangements and brings a service back in-house. For 2P to apply to any service provision change scenario, the following conditions must all be satisfied. One, the client must remain the same, i.e. the person on whose behalf the activities are carried out must not change. And this can be really straightforward, but usually becomes more complicated when subcontractors have been engaged in the provision of the services.
Two, the activities must be fundamentally the same before and after the service provision change. This is a question of fact for the tribunal and it's led to some really interesting case law. And at present, the tribunals tend to approach this on the basis of a holistic approach to the services, preferring not to break them down into individual tasks, but to look at the nature of the service as a whole. And three, immediately before the service provision change, there must be an organised grouping of employees situated in Great Britain, which have the relevant activities as their principal purpose. This essentially involves two elements, identifying the organised grouping and then determining the principal purpose of that organised grouping. It's also important to note that two people will not apply if the client intends that the activities will relate to a single specific event or task of short term duration. By way of example, if a client engages a contractor to provide one-off security services for a specific sporting event, then it may not be caught by 2P. 2P will also not apply if the activities constitute wholly or mainly the supply of goods for the client's own use. For example, if a client engaged a contractor to supply sandwiches and drinks to its staff canteen. However, there is a fine line because it would be a different story if the contractor was also providing the canteen service itself. Service provision changes are very complicated and there's extensive case law on the conditions and exceptions that we've touched upon here. We'll be exploring these in more detail, including some of the relevant case law in later podcasts. That brings us to the end of this podcast, but please do watch out for our future podcasts in this series. And remember that you can get in touch with the employment team at Clark's Legal anytime for any 2P advice that you may need.